Merry Christmas journey. I'm so glad that you made it out here today. Who would have ever thought that 30 degrees feels like tank top weather suddenly? Man, how awesome is that? Just kind of jerking us all around. Uh, I love Christmas. Um, unashamed of that, for me, it is absolutely the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, one of the things that's always interesting to me about uh, Christmas is that our culture in general uh, grabs a hold of a lot of the things around Christmas, a lot of the traditions. And one of the things that captures my attention all the time uh, is Christmas music. And you can be in a restaurant, you can be going through stores. Uh, even this morning, I was at the gym, and there was this Christmas music that was coming through these incredible words talking about the Christmas story and what it means that Jesus came. And one of my favorite uh, Christmas hymns, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, it's going to be what we sing during our uh, candlelight at the very, very end of this. It's a song called Oh Holy Night. And I want to talk with you just a little bit about one line in that hymn. And the reason that I get so reflective around this line is there's this decoration in our home that my wife puts up every year. This is the entryway of our home, and sometimes she puts this on the mantle of our fireplace. But it's a line from O Holy Night, and it says this, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. So when I sit there and I've pondered that over the years, and uh, I love that line. On, on the one hand, there's this beautiful idea of hope, this thrilling hope that comes from the reality that Jesus came to this earth. And this thought of rejoicing and joy that comes from knowing that Jesus came. But right in the middle, the weary world feels like just kind of a splash of cold water. A, a little bit of reality, though, to what's happening in our lives. And I can feel that. Sometimes you can feel that sense of hope and joy, but sometimes, man, I just feel weary. And I know that there are people that you've walked in today and you would probably raise your hand and just say, I identify as part of the weary world. Some of you have experienced incredible losses this last year, maybe even in this season. You've lost people that are close to you. You've lost jobs. You've lost health. Maybe you even lost dreams, things that you just wanted so much to come true in your life that just hasn't. Some of you just never thought that you would be in this place in your life. There was what you imagined you would be sometime at this day, and you're just not there, and your heart is weary. Some of you, and I know this is true because I've talked to so many people, you just feel alone. There's this sense of loneliness, and you just have this thought that does anybody out there have any idea what's happening in the depths of my heart and how lonely I feel. Some of you have in the wake of your life just broken relationships. Sometimes those are the closest people to you. It can even be our family at times. Some of you are here today and maybe your family relationships are completely non-existent or, or at least tricky. That's the kind way of saying it. Family relationships, they can just be tricky. And I believe that there are some of you that have walked in today wondering maybe even a little bit, why am I here? I feel so disconnected and confused in my faith. Earlier this week when I was sitting in a restaurant uh, working on this sermon, the, a gal that came up to serve me, uh, it was kind of an interesting conversation. She made a comment about something that I was wearing that led to a, a, a thing and a thing and a thing and a thing. Pretty soon she realized that she knew someone that I knew. And then she's like, oh, if that's your son, you're 
the pastor. And you never know where that's gonna go, what direction that's gonna go. But she just said, I have no idea what I believe. I've been wrestling for the last two years of my life. I grew up in the church and at this point, I've deconstructed everything. I don't even know what I believe. And you could just see the weariness in her soul. We can have, we can be part of a weary world. So how does the message of Christmas speak into the weariness that many of us are experiencing in this life? Does the Christmas story have something to say to us? I believe that it does. And we're gonna look at the Christmas story, but I'm gonna look at it from a little different angle than we normally do. We normally kind of step into the, the Matthew or the Luke accounts of the coming of Jesus, the cool little Lego story that just talks about the events of the coming of Jesus. But I want us to look at the coming of Jesus through the eyes of the disciple John. He wrote the gospel of John and he wrote some letters that we have the first, second, and third John. But as he talks about the incarnation, the coming of Jesus to this world, he doesn't talk about it in terms of the events. He talks about it in terms of what do those events mean? He's thinking about the theology of Christmas. What are the implications of the incarnation? If this is true, what does it mean for us? And here's what John wants us to understand. We're gonna look at the first four verses of that letter that he wrote called 1 John, where he gives us some understanding of the meaning of Christmas. There's things that he wants us to understand about Jesus. And the first is just simply this basic truth. He came in the flesh. Here's how John says it. He said, that which was from the beginning, and when he says that, just to let you know, he's talking about Jesus. He's saying, there wasn't ever a time that Jesus wasn't. He was not created. He has been there since the beginning. He is the creator, God himself. That which was from the beginning. But then he goes into some explanation, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John is saying, we saw him. We heard him. We were actually able to touch him. Why is John being so repetitive and so emphatic? What is he trying to get across? What John realizes is he understands He understands that what he's saying is remarkable, this idea that God himself would become a man. And scholars look at those verbs that John uses specifically in this letter. These verbs correspond to the admissible witness testimony in a court of law in ancient jurisprudence. He's saying, he's not just trying to make conversation. He is actually swearing a deposition. He's saying, guys, people, this happened, we saw it. And the reason that he's so adamant about it is because, again, it is so remarkable. It is unbelievable. In fact, if you came up to me and told me that you were God or you told me that you met someone who thought that they were God, I'd immediately be crazy, totally crazy. John knows that that's gonna be people's immediate response is this just sounds crazy. But John wants us to understand this saying this isn't a legend. This isn't a fairy tale. This is God come in the flesh. And that's so different from any other faith, any other religion of the world. 
In those cases, religious leaders, religious founders, they point to God and say, this is the way to get to God, meaning that these are the things that you do. You do these religious practices. You have these philosophies. You do these things in this life. You live a good life, ways to get to God. But Christianity flips that on its head and it's completely backwards. It's not us trying to figure out how to get to God. It's God saying, I'm coming to you. I'm gonna do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. And so John understands, he read the Old Testament and it's amazing to him, this thought that this God that seemed so powerful, so unapproachable, they were afraid of him, afraid to see him. But now he's saying this all powerful has become personal. He's letting us know that God is writing himself into the story of human history for the purpose of writing his story into your story. He wants to be part of every one of our stories because he wants to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. John wants us to know this isn't just a legend. And I mean, if, if, this is, if this is made up, if this isn't true, like all that Christmas means, like the best we can get out of it is maybe some good feelings, maybe a little bit of nostalgia, but there's no implications for our life today. But John's saying there are amazing implications because Jesus wants to do something amazing. Secondly, he came to bring life. He came to bring us life, eternal life, life to the full. Here's how John says it. He says, the life appeared, speaking of Jesus. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Again, talking about Jesus, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, John's making this connection. He's not just saying that Jesus has eternal life or Jesus is going to give eternal life. He's saying that Jesus is eternal life. To have that life, not only in this life, but in the life to come, it is found in him, in a relationship with him, a connection to him. Here's how John says it so explicitly in his gospel writing. John 17, he says, now this is eternal life. This is it, that you that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said, this is it. It's that they would know you. And that word that John uses there to describe knowing him, it's, it's not a knowing about, it's not an intellectual knowledge. It's, it's not a knowing his teachings and it's not even doing our best to live out his teachings. What he's saying is knowing Jesus is an experience of him, moment by moment, day by day, him walking through life with us. We can be united with him by faith and we can experience his love. That's what John wants us to know. And it's so interesting when you, when you read the gospel of John. Now, now just think about this. John is writing the story of Jesus, but he's also one of the characters in the story. He is one of the 12 disciples. So as he's writing this story, he's writing about himself at times. But there are many times he doesn't refer to himself as John when he's referring to himself in the third person. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I remember as a brand new follower of Jesus, I just thought, Man, John, kind of full of yourself, aren't you? You know, will you think you're that much better than everyone else? Like you're the disciple that Jesus loved? 
That's not what is happening in the heart of John. But he is saying that this is my identity. The greatest thing that can be said about me in all the world is that I am the object of the love of Jesus. He's not bragging. He's just saying, this is my identity. This is who I am. And what John tells us is that he wants all of us to have that very same identity. He wants that for us. Because even through all the tragedies and things that John went through in life, he says it was that connection to Jesus that gave me a thrill of hope and I was able to rejoice in a weary world. And John wants us to know also that Jesus, he came to bring joy. Here's what he says. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have, so that you, so I'll get it. So that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Here's what John's saying. The greatest joy that he's had in life is that he has a connection with Jesus and the Father. And what he's saying is his joy would be made complete. Your joy would be made complete if you joined in that relationship with him. John wants us to know Jesus the way that he knew Jesus. And he said, that's what's gonna bring joy to me. It's what's gonna bring joy to you. But you know who else that brings joy to? It brings joy to Jesus himself. I wanna read to you a, a scripture. This is probably one of my favorite scriptures. I share it often because it speaks of the joy of Jesus, but the way it, the writer unfolds it is a little bit, a little bit mind-boggling at first. Listen to what he says. He says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And here's where he says it. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I remember reading that as a, as a young believer and saying like, like, for the joy, looking at the cross, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. What about the cross brought joy to Jesus? Because we think about, we remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, praying to the father, saying, is there any other way that we can do this? But not my will, but your will be done. He did not want to go to the cross. He did not want to bear in his body the physical punishment of crucifixion, but infinitely more than that, to bear in his soul the weight of sin, the consequence of sin, the wrath of God for sin in himself for all of humanity. He wanted another way out. What gave him joy in that moment looking at the cross? Jesus wasn't looking at the cross. He was looking through the cross. He was looking through what would happen when he would pay the penalty for our sin. It would create the opportunity for us to bridge the gap to a relationship with him. That's what brought him joy. Friends, that's got to melt our heart. To think that as Jesus was facing the cross, he had joy because he saw you. He saw me. And when I say you, 
I, I don't want you to generalize it. I want you to personalize it. He saw you. He saw you where you sit today. He knows everything that's going on in your life, everything that will happen in your life. He saw you and it gave him joy to give his life, to pay the penalty for our sin. Friends, that melts my heart. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring joy, not only to us, but to him by giving his life for us. And lastly, I just wanna say that he came humbly so that we could humbly come to him. Think about this story that we tell, and I, I know that if you've been around, you've, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've heard this story a million times, but think about the magnificence of what we're talking about. The magnificence of the eternal God quietly, humbly coming to this earth as a man in a little manger, in a little sleepy town of Bethlehem. God's magnificent humility, his willingness to leave the comforts of heaven and to descend, to be willing to become small, to be willing to become vulnerable, and even to be willing to become killable. God breaks through Time and space enters this world through the womb of a little peasant girl. And John just keeps telling us, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. We, we saw the results of what happened as a result of that little manger in Bethlehem. The natural, the supernatural became natural. The metaphysical became physical. That God that was all-powerful suddenly became personal. That God that John knew about from the Old Testament that seemed so unapproachable became, can I say it? Became huggable. He was held and held others. God came near. Now I realize, I don't know where you're at in your thinking, but is that too good to be true? Many people say yes, and they completely miss the story of Christmas, and they dismiss it. And like I said, if it's not true, then let's just have some warm feelings and a little bit of nostalgia around Christmas. But friends, if it is true, it changes everything. It changes everything that this life is about and what it is that we know that God wants for us. He's not asking for you to prove your worth to him through extraordinary acts in any way. He's just simply asking you in the same way that he came humbly to this earth, would we humbly come to him and ask him to forgive us, to be our king and to be our Lord and to be our savior. And I'm so grateful he came for anyone he came for people like you and me that have problems, people that are dysfunctional and messed up, for the abused, the neglected, the mistreated. You know who else he came for? He came for those of us that have gotten everything that they've wanted in life, but yet they still know that there's something missing. There's something more to this life. I just know it. He came for them too. He came to bring hope, and rejoicing to this weary world. 
And he simply invites us to humbly come before him and ask to receive him. Here's how John described it, John chapter one. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Just like any gift at Christmas, if it just sits under the tree and you never open it, it's never yours. We've got to receive it. We've got to take it as our own. He's saying that we receive him by believing, believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he truly was born of a virgin girl in a little manger in Bethlehem, and that he lived the perfect life. He lived the life that we should live. He died the death for us, the death that we deserved to die, and that he was raised again on the third day to let us know and remind us over and over that he's got the keys to eternal life. He's got the keys to death and eternal life, and he can give it to us, and it's found in a relation of him, a relationship with him. Are we ready to make room in our life for Jesus, for all that he offers? You know, this, this kind of our, our branding around this series was called Making Room, and, and I love that when we came up with it, but as I've thought about what I'm talking about right now, I don't like that phrase, making room. Because it seems like what it's saying is that we just kind of open up a little sliver of our life and we kind of try to maybe shoehorn Jesus in to be a little part of our life. Friends, if this is true, he deserves more than just a sliver of our life. He deserves everything. Nothing else matters for all of eternity. Are we ready to make room for Jesus, to make him our king and our Lord? And again, I I don't know where people sitting in this room are, but I imagine that there are people, and you know in your heart, you've been thinking it all along, I've been running from God. And you know right now, it's time to stop running. It's time to come home. It's time to come home to him. There's some of you that you just know that you've been keeping God at a distance. You know he's out there, but he's at arm's length. It's time to close the gap. Let him close the gap through his death on the cross for you. Some of you have just been saying, no, no. And it's time for you to say yes to him. If that's you, if there's something stirring, I wanna give you the opportunity to step into that kind of relationship that John is talking about here. Make his joy complete, make your joy complete. Make the joy of Jesus complete. I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer. And I just want to say, there are no magic. There's no magic in any of the words that I'm going to say, but it's just a way for you in the quietness of your heart. If you agree with that, to express your faith to God and say, Jesus, I want to accept your gift this Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, I believe that you are who you claim to be. I believe that you came near and that little manger in Bethlehem. And Jesus, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you that you lived the life that you did, a perfect life, the life that I should have lived. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to die on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus, thank you that you rose from the grave on that third day so that I can know you've got the keys to death 
and to life. Eternal life is in your hands. And we believe, Jesus, that eternal life is found in you. And we grab a hold of you today. We bow our knee to you. We surrender our life to you. We make you our Lord. We make you our King. We thank you that you're our Savior. Thank you that you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.